We're in the Psalms. We are today in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 has often been viewed as uh, an addendum or connected with Psalm 1. You'll see why we call it a separate psalm as we go forward. But Psalm 1 and 2 are, in essence, as we talked about last week, they're these pillars, and we walk through these pillars together on the way to the rest of the 148 psalms. And so written on one pillar is, is last week's message to us, okay, there's righteous and there's unrighteous. The righteous take seriously the word of God and walk in it. They love the word of God. And the unrighteous, they just don't. They see the word of God and it does nothing for them. They not only don't love it, they don't read it, they don't care about it, they, they don't observe it, and they don't want it. Okay, so that was, that was in essence this pillar on the side of entering the Psalms that will show us on, on some of the 148 Psalms are going to be all about the Word of God. Some of you know that Psalm 119 is a, an amazing, just epic Psalm, 176 verses written in poetic form in such a way that uh, all of the verses say, Take seriously the word of God. And so we're going to see lots of psalms like that. Well, not today. We're going in through Psalm 2. It's the pillar on the other side of the gateways we enter in. And if Psalm 1, or excuse me, uh, the, the one pillar says, take seriously the word of God, then this other pillar is going to say, take seriously the servant of God, the Messiah of God, his king, his rule, his reign. So as we walk through, what we're going to see is that this is this Psalm 2, part B of the introduction, is saying, look for Messiah in lots of different places in the rest of these 148 Psalms. He's going to be all over the place. His king is real, and he's here. His kingdom is forever. It's not made up. It's not like in my, just in my heart. He's real now. And so Psalm 1 2, excuse me, 3 through 150, there's going to be all these places where we see his king is here now, David, Solomon. And that king is going to lead, as we're going to look in just a moment, going to lead to the king who is Jesus, who is real, who is strong, who is the ultimate realization and, and uh, the ultimate fulfillment of all these prophecies. And then one day, no one can resist this, and I'm giving some of the message away, but bear with me. No one's going to be able to resist this. He's going to come with all power, and nothing that he set out to hold in his hand will be kept from him. Resistance to the rule of God's servant, the Messiah, is futile. Oh, man, it is so beautiful to walk into these gates with you. And now, set, now, now listen, we're not going to look at all 148 of those psalms. We're going to take pieces here and there. It's kind of like we're walking down a, a, a pathway together and we're going to look, oh, look at the right here. Here's one with the, the, the Messiah talked about. Here's one with the word. Here's one that, that teaches us something even different or, or colors in. And we're just going to look at this in just bold, beautiful ways as we go over the next year. But let's get to Psalm 2. I'm going to read Psalm 2, and then we're going to stop and pray together, and we're going to dive in. Okay, here we go. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Aaron sang that song, led us in that song. We just sang, Ask, and I'll give the nations to you, because it comes right out of Psalm 2. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Father, as we begin today, we, we are very aware that there are people here today for whom their second grader is back in school and they have some hours to themselves and the second grader is loving school and it's a beautiful start to a wonderful year. There are others who are here today having told loved ones yesterday of the passing of a beloved grandmother and their hearts are heavy. And this is life. Heights and depths. Bright sunshine and deep shadows. And so we are asking, Lord, that through the difficulties and the heights and the depths, that you would come and minister to us today, not because of me, because your word is so good. Lord, we learned last week we got to take your word seriously, and this week we, we really want to take your son seriously, your Messiah. So would you help us as we look into Psalm 2 together now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to jump right in to this psalm together, and uh, I, I just want to set forth this first statement before we move on. God has set his Messiah in place. We're going to keep unpacking what that means, but as we, as we think about that for just a minute, I, I really encourage you, the people of God, to think about this concept deeply. All right, so first thing I want to say is this, the some of us think about like the Old Testament is the time when uh, God was all about the Jews and the New Testament is the time when God is all about the rest of the world and the Gentiles get invited to come. And Psalm 2 should be the place you go in your heart and with people who may begin to think that way to break that concept. It's just not true. From the very beginning, God said, I will, make, I will send my son and he will destroy the evil one. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said, Abram, I'm going to pick you, but, but I'm not going to pick you as the one who is like a, uh, you know, Gary would use the word, reservoir of grace. Abraham, I'm going to pick you and you're going to be, what does it say in Genesis 12, 3, 
Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. From the very beginning, that was God's plan. God wants the nations. And and so uh, he is going to work to receive the the nations. And we're going to see this in Psalm 2. And we're going to watch it unfold that the nations are raging, but they should come and submit themselves to Christ. The invitation from Psalms is come now, respond to God, right? So the important thing, though, is to see this Psalm 2 is written from this perspective that the people of God are appealing to the nations. And if we're going to appeal to the nations, I understand that we sometimes have questions. God, why do you do it that way? Why did you work in this situation in this respect? And we don't have answers for that. We don't know. The ways of God are mysterious, and so I understand that. But we work with that mysterious beauty of God's divine wisdom, not fully grasping all of it, but understanding this, though we don't understand all of his ways, we are convinced and happy about this. God has set his Messiah in place, and Jesus Christ is his name. We're real happy about that. We're glad that he rules and reigns. We're happy to be under his rule. We're learning how to stay with him and not walk away from him. And we're teaching our children the same. But it's truly, really important to see that if we don't start with we're sure that God is good, we're sure his reign is here now, we're sure Jesus is his Messiah, we've got no message for the rest of this psalm. The rest of it's not going to flow. So you're sure and you're certain based on what the word teaches us. That's last week's lesson, Psalm 1. We're certain that the word points to Jesus Christ. Now, David, I believe, is the author of this. If not, it's definitely pointing to David. Um, He's sure, right? So we are fully convinced and happy about God's servant on the throne. Well, because God set his Messiah in place, number one, rebellion against his authority is futile. Here's how we would say it to our neighbor. Here's how David says it to the world. Says the same thing. Why in the world do you constantly give yourself over to resist the rule and reign of Jesus Christ? Why would you do that? Why why would you set yourself up against him? Why do you resist his his rule and his reign is benevolent. It's good. It's good morally. It's good for us. It's protective. His rule is, is worldwide and powerful. And so we're teaching our children, listen, the rule of God is not some mysterious thing out there that might come. It's not just in mom's heart or in dad's heart. The rule of God is real, and it's throughout all of history. God set up his world. He breathed it into existence. He promised from the beginning. He breathed life into humans. And when we rebelled, he he called us to himself and said, don't worry, I'm going to send one who will take away the sins of the world. And he didn't tell us his name yet, but he promised a good promise to us when we were his rebels, when we were rebels against his rule and reign. And then we see all through the Older Testament, listen, here's a promise to you. Here's a promise. I'm going to set up a kingdom 
and it was Israel. I'm going to set up a king. We're going to look at that as we move through this psalm together. But his rule is good. Why, why do the nations rule or rage against this? And you and I, honestly, should be in a position where when the Holy Spirit comes and we set out to live under the authority of God, we shake our heads and go, I, I just, I can't understand why, why people, you see what they do? They rage that, that idea there is that there's disagreeable complaining. They, they come together in a noisy assembly to do nothing but plot against God's rule. Why do the peoples plot, and that word plot there, everyone growling in self-promotion? It's for me, it's for me, it's for me. What do I get out of this? Guys, we just... Uh, we just observed yesterday the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. And uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's because it's the 20th year, but it's really been an emotional week watching the coverage of the 9-11. Last night we were watching one. We were on the, the flight that, uh, was it 83 that went down? 93 that went in Pennsylvania. Uh, that that uh, there had been a plot. The plot was let's get together and disrupt and disrupt and disrupt. And out of the cockpit of Flight 93 was coming constantly. Allah is great. Allah is great. Allah is great. While they were crashing that plane into the ground. And only crashed it into the ground because 17 minutes prior to uh, reaching its ultimate destination of Washington, D.C., the passengers on board took their plotting and broke it down. But here, here's the point. We would stand back and say, look, uh, why do they do that? Why do they give themselves over to constantly plotting against who God is and what he's done? Look, first thing, when we, we come to this concept that the rebellion against his authority is futile, I want to really encourage you. You as a believer need to know some of these plots. You need to know what's going on in the world. We need to understand what's happening in the world around us to some degree. We, we need to not be surprised by this. Else, David couldn't have even written this psalm. Unless he knew that all the nations were plotting against. And so he knew and he knows what they're doing. That also means this, though. Uh, let's look at this in verse 1. Sometimes we think, and, and it would be easy for us to read chapter 2 and say, well, look, it's really to the kings and the nations and the politi- political leaders of the world. Not so. Look at verse 1. The nations, the people, ethnoi in Greek, the, the, the nations rage the people's plot and then it comes to verse 2 where it talks about the kings here's my implication from that it starts with the people kings come from the people our political leaders come from the bricks of the culture you want to make a difference in politics can I just tell you it's not going to be through uncovering plots and getting angry it never will It'll be through making a difference in your neighbor's lives through gracious kindness to them. The bottom up, not the top down. Political leaders come from us, the people. And that's what's going on in the world around us. 
Who comes into power? People from the bricks of the cultures of every nation in the world. That's what's going on in the world. And the kings of the earth, here's what they do when they put, get themselves into that leadership position. They set themselves against. Here's one thing. They all clamor together and they say, well, look, here's the one thing we can all agree on. We all hate each other and we're all going to promote ourselves. We're, there's no grand plot because we're all plotting against each other too. We're trying to get ourselves into position. But here's the one thing we can all agree upon. Let's, let's put scaffolding up here. Let's put a line in the sand here. We're against God. That we can agree upon. It says there uh, in verse 2, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Four times, five times in the psalm, we'll hear about the anointed and the son and the servant and the king. The song is about Jesus. To stand against Jesus is to stand against God. You can't embrace Jesus and distance yourself from the living king of the universe. And here's what they say. Here's our definition of happiness and what we, what we really want to do. Whatever we do, verse 3 says, let's burst their bonds apart. Any constriction, any constraint that would be placed upon us by God or by his servant, we want that gone. And we commit ourselves to get it gone. That's our, that's our main organizing principle, all of us together against God. And we want to throw off everything he is and cast away their cords from us. We would say it this way. They want to be happy. They want to live their life how they want to live their life, and they don't want anyone, based on any position, to tell them that they can't do that. And can I just tell you, I think in this generation, there's going to be a creeping of that mindset into the church. Be ready. People here, not necessarily, I mean, but people in the church who will say, uh, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. But what we'll need to do is to realize that the enemies of God have set their heart on this. We are committed to one thing. We're going to burst the bonds apart of what God has called us to. And the church is going to be committed to understanding that that's happening. That's the thing I want to say to you in this. Rebellion against his authority is futile. But um, listen, uh, you're fully informed of what's going on, and then you're fully committed to make this appeal. Dads, you live in your house like this. Son, why would anyone set themselves up against the Lord? Why do the nations rage? And when your son or your daughter looks at your mom or dad or aunt or uncle, grandma or grandpa, they see the kind of life that is saying in, in action and in example, time and time again, my intention is to not rage against the Lord and not plot against him, but set forth his not only his mission, but also his character in everything I do. That's what we want to be about. And so, son, come examine my life. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be committed to the Messiah, to receiving his rule and reign. So when the peoples rebel, God's people are not tempted to rebel with them. 
We're not saying, yeah, you know, I want a little God and a little God on, on Sunday. But, you know, Monday through Saturday, my constant question is going to be, why can't I live like the world? And in fact, when no one's looking, there are places when I'm purposely looking like the world and going after them and walking in their way. There's not going to be any of that. We're not tempted to rebel with them because we're asking the question, why in the world would anyone walk away from the benevolent, beautiful rule of God? Never, especially in private. When the evil seems to prosper around us, we do not doubt that God is good. And we do not say, well, you know, maybe... uh, Uh, you know, God's not able to, you know, fix this situation. No, we're not going there. We understand that for little seasons, here and there, evil will prosper and evil will have its way. And so you and I, we expect this rebellion in the world and we hold to this. God's rule over us is so much better. We're staying here. Here's some pictures of it. Isaiah anticipated some of this, the questions and said, well, you know, there's going to be some people that say, look, it sure seems like 9-11 had an impact on 3,000 lives and families generations later. Sure seems like they, they had some kind of an impact. You're saying that, uh, that the resistance against the authority of God is futile, and it is. Look, listen to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the God, but the word of God, our God will stand forever. And so, guys, we're living in a season of August grass. It's just a matter of time till it fades. I have people that will talk to me about this person and that person and what they're doing. And, and uh, you know, can I just tell you this? Bill Gates is August grass. His desire, his thoughts, the way he spends his money, the way he thinks, doesn't matter. Bill Gates, doesn't matter. Stephen Hawking, doesn't matter. Years ago, uh, someone like Darwin, all their thoughts and, and, and insights and, and, and suppositions and, and, and theories about what could be. It's August grass. It's just fading away. The word of God will stand forever. Verses 12 through 14. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth with a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Verse 14. Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Nobody. God knows. And so 9-11 didn't have some uh, 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 terrible impact on God's intentions for this season of life and for what he's doing. God uses the efforts of the evil one to open the hearts of more and more people of the world all the time. Verse 15, here's here's what happened on 9-11. Here's what happened on Pearl Harbor Day. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. You got that picture, right? A kid goes to the well, half mile away, gets the well up, and walks back to his house. On the walk back to his house, a couple of drops from the bucket fall out along the way, and he gets the contents of the bucket back home to his mom. All of the efforts of all of the nations from all time are a splash of water coming out of the bucket as the young man travels. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. 
And so you go and you buy yourself five pounds of bananas and you don't say to the person selling you the bananas, hey, listen, could we just dust the scale off before we start here? Because I don't want to pay for any dust. I'm not down with dust paying, right? By the way, if you're buying five bananas, I hope you have a lot of people, five pounds of bananas, I hope you have a lot of people to, to feed. Eat those things quickly. They are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. And if you think he's not being clear enough, in two verses later he says, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Friends, the plots of all the nations, including our own, for all time, will amount to dust on the scales. And God calls it two verses later in Isaiah 40, verse 17. They are counted as less than nothing in terms of the way they change his plans, in terms of the way they impact his plans. God is at work. His, his Messiah is on the throne. Resistance against the authority of the Messiah is futile. And why would anyone resist it? And so, friends, we're not surprised we're not cynical. We're not trying to uncover plots with our expertise and, and the way that we move through surfing on the internet. Instead, we remain fully convinced and convicted of God's goodness and strength. And our question to our kids and the way we live and the calmness of our heart says this to our spouse every day. Why would anyone want to deviate? Why would anyone want to move out from underneath the authority of God? We don't want to. And we're not going to. We're staying with him. Because God has set his Messiah in place, number two, all the nations belong to him. Well, I, I touched on this earlier, but I just want to really emphasize this. It was never God's intention to get Israel together in a small way and be their God and hold them there. It was always God's intention to put a king on the throne in Israel and through the people there in the Middle East to be a blessing to the entire earth. That was his plan physically, and that was his plan from the beginning. And by the way, that's what he's done. It's exactly what he's done. We have to have eyes to see it here, right? So, oh, okay, so here we are, and they're all, the nations are resisting and plotting and, and working to set themselves up against God. What happens? Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Now, let's start with this. He's sitting in heaven. That is, his work is accomplished. He has nothing like, he has taken the position of the conquering king. He's, he's seated, he's in heaven. We couldn't impact his rule and reign over the world if we knew where heaven was, but we don't, we can't get to him. So here he is watching what's going on in the world in 2021 in Pakistan and in Afghanistan and in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And he's watching all of this effort and movement. And his response is laughter. Now that laughter is not laughter for pain. It's not laughter for people's loss. It's not laughter for the loss of life or the 3,000 people that, that went, gave their lives in the 9-11, on the day of 9-11. 
His laughter is for the absurdity that anyone would resist him. It's absurd. It's, it's ridiculous to think that anyone would resist the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're going to be called either to his wrath or to submission to him. Those are the two places you go before the king. See, he sits in, in the heavens and he, he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The word derision there is contempt. It's as if we're in his courtroom and he's saying, look, I'm holding you in contempt of court. That's that kind of uh, rebellion, that kind of resistance will not be tolerated here. And he will speak to them in his wrath. Can I just say that? Verse 5, I marked that. He will speak to them. Can I just tell you, if you spend a lot of time lecturing people about the wrath of God, I just encourage you to just Stop trying to win the arguments with lectures. He will speak to them. They will be held accountable for what he said. But it is not up to you and me to be constantly badgering people with our words. He will speak to them. And listen, that's going to be a terrifying moment. And people say, you know, you have friends like that. Oh, I can't wait for the afterlife. Either I'll make it to heaven because God's going to let everyone in heaven, they say. Or I'll go to hell and there'll be a party. And I'll party in hell with my friends. Can I just tell you, when God speaks, in his fury, everyone who hears him as an enemy will be terrified. They will know that he means business. Now listen, there are places in this psalm which speaks of the wrath of God. We speak of the wrath of God, but we, we speak of it like, and we under, help our friends understand God's anger against sin is not, is not sudden. It's not out of control. He's warning us. He's giving us a good and beautiful statement to let us know what's coming in the future. He's giving us years to respond, 1 Peter says. Why has he not returned yet? Because he longs for people to respond to his grace and come and, and, and submit their lives to him now. And so he's giving us day after day after day for people to respond and come. And so we call people to this God. Please, we are not angry. We let God take care of each and every person, and he's the judge. Now, how would they have uh, read this? I just want to really encourage you that there is a real king on the throne that this psalm points to. Many of the psalms will point to a king on the throne now in Israel, and then there's a future king that's still coming, and we don't always know and can't always clearly see exactly uh, what it's pointing at. Not always. And so here it says in verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And the people reading this in 1000 BC would have said, okay, well, David's on the throne. And we view, so, so David is God's king. He is God's servant. And God owns the land. And God made a promise to us. And we wandered in the wilderness for years and years. And now we have actual land. And all that would be true. That's the first meaning of this text. 
And if we had more time, I would go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and I would read you uh, verse 8 and verses 12 and 13, and I'm just going to read 13 and 14, because that's where we'll go here, okay? 2 Samuel 7, he will build a house for my name, my servant will. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so the people reading this would have said, oh, good, David's on the throne. This is a fulfilled prophecy. This is beautiful. They would have also, uh, if we turn over actually to Acts, Acts reads this same prophecy and says, yes, it was of David, but it wasn't only of David. And so in Acts chapter 13, We just went through a whole series on this. And so again, I'm going to be pretty quick with the reference here. But Paul would say this. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, he's talking about Psalm 2. What God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, So he's referring, he read the same psalms that you and I are reading today. In the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. It was spoken this way, and he goes on for that from there. But here's the point. He's saying, look, Psalm 2 applies directly to Jesus. And so while the beginnings of the, the, the fulfillment of the psalm was in David, there was a promise to David that someone would sit on his throne forever. And the reality is that that came through Solomon and it came through the kings. And through those kings, we have Jesus. And we go right back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. And we say, here is the way in which Abraham has been a blessing to the world. That through his seed, God kept all of his promises. And now Jesus reigns. And we know for sure that the, the Messiah is Jesus because he was risen from the dead the third day. Nobody else was and nobody else ever will be. Never. And so if you're with me on that, you could say, well, there was the um, prophecy from Psalm 2. They understood it was David. And then in the New Testament, they looked at it and said, well, this is obviously Jesus. And they were right about that. And maybe you would turn to Revelation chapter 19 because there's more to come. Jesus is uh, Lord of all the nations, verse 19, or excuse me, Revelation 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. I could go on, but let's look back at Psalm chapter 2 and verse 8, verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron second coming. It's all about Jesus. Every person that God desires to belong to him will belong to him. His intention from the beginning was to spread a worldwide rule and reign and call people from every tribe and tongue. If this psalm is a messianic psalm, it is also a mission psalm to announce to the nations, come serve the Lord, come give your life to him before it's too late. All who remain in rebellion will face his anger and wrath forever. But friends, it is not too late to come. It is not too late to come. 
his, these prophecies were always progressive. That is, they told a little bit in Genesis, and then they told a little bit more in Psalms, and they told a little bit more in Isaiah, and then they get to Jesus, and then it tells a little bit more, and you understand the kingdom is here. The kingdom is in your heart, but it's also here now. God rules over all of the activities of the world right now. How is he going to use Afghanistan and Taliban and all of these difficulties around the world for good? I don't know fully the answer to that, but I do know this. God's kingdom is not just in my heart. God is ruling this world for his purposes now, and he's using even the hardest stuff to make much of his name. Every person I know that talks about a loss and a difficulty, they always quickly come to this place and say, look, God did a lot of good things. I don't like the loss. I wouldn't go through it again. I wish it never happened. But God used it for good. Because God set his Messiah in place number three, God graciously calls rebels, beginning with world leaders, to surrender. If you had the opportunity to speak to the most despicable world leaders in, on this planet or your own heart, I trust your message would be the same thing. Come, surrender to Jesus. It's not too late. We're going to be like God. We're going to be like his Messiah. I would just say here's a, a statement of what I'll call application from this text to you today. Verse 8. Ask of me. Ask of me for the nations. It's the first word in this entire psalm in the imperative. And can I just tell you, if I could encourage you one thing and you jot a note, it would be this. Ask God for the nations. Pray. Pray for your missions family. But you know what? You're the missions family. Pray for you in your world. Pray for your public school friends who are teachers going into the public school system to make a difference. Pray for your Christian school friends who are going into a place where lots of kids think they're fine and they're not. Pray for the people around you. Pray for the nations. I just jotted down three specific examples, and I'm going to actually ask you to take a moment, just a few seconds of silence, to pray some of these things with me. So get yourself ready. Maybe you got a pen. Maybe you got your paper. I'm going to re read about Christians in Israel first. And by the way, there's two websites. You might want to jot these down. They're super easy to remember that I would have you go to this week. One, persecution.org. Persecution.org is the voice of the martyrs. And they will tell you about what's going on in the world around us and who's facing what kind of difficulty around the world. Here's the second one. It's really hard to remember. Persecution.com. Persecution.com is the ICC. It's a movement in Washington, D.C. that monitors Christian persecution around the world and reports back to us. I posted something, if you're on Facebook, I posted uh, something yesterday from the ICC, persecution.com yesterday about what's going on in the church in Afghanistan. All that to say this, despite both Israeli 
this is Christians in Israel. Despite both Israeli and Arab opposition, both Jews and Muslims are coming to faith in the Messiah in Israel. According to the voice of the martyrs, Christians in Arad, South Israel, have had their homes covered with graffiti. Attackers have spit on them and insulted them in the name of Jesus when the believers are out in public. Harassers have also stalked them, scouting out their homes and meeting locations to insult them and create disturbances during their gatherings. The voice of the martyrs asks that we would pray that these believers will remain firm in their faith and show the love of Christ to those who are harassing them. By the way, that's what I want to do too. Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Remain firm in your faith and show the love of Jesus to those who are harassing you. Pray that their tormentors will see the truth of the gospel and trust in Christ. Would you take five seconds of silence right now and pray for Israel? Remain in that spirit of prayer, and I'm going to read about Afghanistan. When the evil one tempts to plot and rage against God, his efforts are always futile. Pray that the efforts of the Taliban, uh, 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 that the, the Muslims are such that the Muslims reject and deride the evil. That's what happens around the world. Evil rises up and does despicable things, and the people closest to it say, I can't live like this anymore. Pray that God lifts up brave believers to stand in humility with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you watched that video that I sent out yesterday, you saw the ICC fellow saying we had planes on the ground in Afghanistan. Church leaders said we're not leaving. If it costs us our lives, we are staying here to announce that God graciously calls rebels, beginning with world leaders, to surrender to his good and gracious reign. If it costs us our lives, we're staying. Pray that the intentions of the evil one will completely backfire once again and that God will open a window of grace for people to come to his Messiah. Would you pray for Afghanistan for just a moment? And now how about this one? What's the attitude of your heart which most stands in opposition to the concept that we are instructed to kiss the sun? Here's what I'm saying to you. Pray for Christians and pray for kids and pray for spouses and pray for people in your house and neighborhood. The imperative, ask God for the nation starting with your daughter. starting with your son. Oh, God. Friends, resistance against God is futile. Please be encouraged. While warning is imperative, warmth is so needed as you reach, and you know what they need to see more than anything is a mom or a dad who is happily committed to the reign of God themselves. I'm praying that my ugly attitude of fight fire with fire mindset does not accomplish God's righteous intentions and I would leave it behind. I'm praying that God would have mercy and shed grace on my spouse, on Nikki, through peace and the kindness that God is working in my heart. Oh God, help. 
I'm praying that across this, this congregation, that in our homes, our children and grandchildren see not only people that stand for right things, but who stand in right ways. And I'm praying that others that are loved, that many will be loved through the ministry of of my home. Would you take a minute and ask God? God, reach the nations. Reach Israel, reach Afghanistan, reach Sheboygan. Through these people, through us, would you help us We need it so desperately, Lord. Work in us, we pray. So as we finish this up, guys, here's the appeal. Here's the appeal we make. Verse 10, 11, 12. Now therefore, O kings, we have opportunity to speak to them. Be wise. Wise up. Wise up. It's time for you to submit. Be warned. Exactly what God says will happen is going to happen. We're calling you. It's not too late. Verse 11, repent. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice. We're calling the kings of the world to rejoice. Do you know what that word, rejoice? It's a, it's a great little word, and it, it means uh, shout in exultation. Guys, we need to be better at shouting in exultation. We need to be better at being happy about the Lord. But it literally means run in a circle. Go in a circle. Dance. 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 All right? So that's what it means. So this afternoon, while you're thinking about our response, here's an imperative. You must dance, according to Psalm 2. And then finally, kiss the sun. Here's what you're called to do. Kiss the sun is a picture. You're before the king, and you're on your knees, and you're saying, here I was living my life how I wanted to, and I'm now kissing the sun, and the implication is I completely surrender everything to you, and I completely pledge my allegiance to you forever. Right here, right now. Kiss the sun. That's the appeal we make to our kids. That's the appeal we make to the kings. That's the appeal we make to our neighbor over the fence. We find ways to invite them to kiss the sun. And it ends as Psalm 1 started. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Take your finger over on chapter 1, verse 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who loves the word of God. And it ends with blessed are all This is a worldwide God. Blessed are all who take refuges, run to him. Blessed are all who run to him and stay under his authority. Happy are those who run. Let's just stop and think about that. Happy are those who run to the Lord. Psalm 1 and 2 have introduced us to key themes that will be explored throughout the Psalms. Meditating on the word of God will lead us to surrender to his Messiah. This is not merely the story of the Jewish, for the Jewish people. It's intended to be the unfolding revelation for people of the globe. God's global blessing is on all who love his word and receive his Messiah and kiss the Son. And that gives us unending joy, unending dance, and an important mission. Tell the whole world, come now, be wise, wise up, be warned. Everything that God said is true. And why would you ever want to maintain a rebellious spirit against the Lord's benevolent, beautiful Messiah? Let's stand and be concerned. Father, we're rejoicing this morning. We are happily serving you. 
We are not barely getting through. We are not tempted by the schemes of the world around us. We are not thinking that one of their schemes has somehow gotten your plan off track. Never, never, never. You are king of the universe and we gladly submit to you and we're calling our friends, not with cynicism and not with uh, any other heartbeat than to say, come and experience the joy and gladness of heart that can only be found when you submit to, when you kiss the son, when you submit to the Messiah from God. We receive his reign and we receive your reign together. In Jesus' name, amen.